Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail, as well as the host of this program. This week, I'm really excited. We have Michelle Poole, who is the president at Crocs, and I am a huge fan of Crocs. I've worn them for, I would say, most of my life. I've been known to have pairs of Crocs around, and so I want to dig into just sort of the evolution of this brand, because it's such a ubiquitous part of a lot of people's just everyday lives, and sort of how Michelle is planning the evolution of Crocs going forward. But hi, Michelle, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, you've been at the company for a while. Am I am I correct with that? That's right. Yes, I've been at the company. It'll be seven years this summer. Give me sort of the history of your time at the company. Yeah, so uh, it's been a wild ride. Um, <laughs> it's been a really thrilling ride. Um, so I joined the company really um, off the back of uh, let's say, over 20 years of experience with brands in, in merchandising, product, and marketing roles. And I was really enticed to join Crocs for the opportunity of what it could be. Um, my whole career has been spent either really transforming brands and bringing great brands to life through fun, exciting um, product. So when I was called about the opportunity at Crocs, was interesting because I was well aware of the brand, but it wasn't relevant in my life and I hadn't really studied what Crocs was up to. And when I began to investigate the opportunity of joining Crocs, I looked at it as a really interesting opportunity, I would say, to rebuild a brand. Because to me, it is a real brand. It stands for something very distinctive. And what's really exciting, was exciting to me and still is, is that at the heart of Crocs is an icon. And I've been fortunate enough to work for brands my whole career with icons. So um, I actually started my career in the denim industry. I then moved into Converse, and Converse has the Chuck Taylor that I think all the listeners would know. Yes. Um, I was fortunate enough to spend several years at Timberland that has the, the yellow boot, the wheat boot as it's known. Um, I also um, had five years at Sperry Topsider that has the iconic boat shoe. So I really um, was drawn to the opportunity to transform a brand and really um, create um, something exciting, something differentiated. Um, Crocs definitely got a very different point of view and a very distinct look and feel and brand DNA than the rest of the players in the footwear market. So that's really, it was really the, the opportunity of what Crocs could be that drew me, drew me to the role. Wow. And I feel like for at least a couple of those that you mentioned, uh, like well-placed collaborations play, were, are a big part in sort of how they've grown. And that seems to be a big theme for Crocs right now, if, correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So yeah, I, I love collaborations. Collaborations are certainly nothing that Crocs invented. And actually I've been part of um, some really fun collaborations in the past. Um, it's definitely part of, I would say, a, um, a playbook these days of reinvigorating brands. And it's certainly been a really... A successful part of Crocs's, um, you know, business turnaround. Um, so it's been very intentional. And really, the way I look at collaborations is it's very wonky math. But one plus one equals three. And what I mean <laughs> by that is that when when you pair a brand like Crocs with another partner, it could be an individual like a Post Malone. It could be a really quirky, distinctive brand like KFC. Um, it could be a fashion brand, uh, an Uber you know, high-end fashion brand like Balenciaga. But mm -hmm. when you bring two entities together and you do something really interesting and fun, 
the consumer wins. It's so much more than one plus one, right? It's that's that's where the three comes out. So my finance team don't love that math, but they like <laughs> they like what collaborations do for our brand. And what's been really fantastic is that when you look at the classic, our iconic classic clog, it's really a blank canvas for self-expression. So it lends itself so well to really creative reinterpretation. So we're not overly precious. We 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 work with these partners and say, you know, what do you want to do with it, right? Have some fun. And you, you've probably seen, um, we've done some really elevated, interesting, extraordinary things. I'm not sure if you saw the KFC uh, clog, but it was literally 3D printed like chicken nugget <laughs> charms that we put in the holes on the shoes. So um, pref- hopefully nobody ate them. Um, so <laughs> we have fun. And so, yes, collaborations continue to be a way for us to bring new consumers to the brand and present our brand in a fresh light. When did you start looking into, is that, has that long been part of the DNA or like seven years ago when you were joining? Yes. Was that something that like, how did that play into it? So um, it was definitely part of my plan when I joined the organization to begin collaborations. The challenge we had is no one wanted to come and yeah. partner with us. Um, the The phone did not ring, I can tell you. And we made a lot of outbound calls that weren't answered. Um, one, the I would say that we can really credit Christopher Kane with being the trigger for the very. It was the first collaboration, and Christopher Kane, he's a British designer, um, really is known for turning the the ordinary into the extraordinary. And so, for him partnering, he reached out to partner with Crocs to put us on on the feet of his models in his runway show. And it was because probably of our positioning as a brand that was pretty lowbrow, um, kind of an outsider, certainly in the fashion space. Um, we had no place at that time on the run on the on the runways of the fashion um, weeks. So we can really thank Christopher Kane for being the first partner to sort of step out and do something interesting with us. And people really paid attention. And then after that, uh, we were able to partner with Balenciaga um, and I'd say the rest is history. We've been um, we've been really able to find some exciting and unexpected and creative partnerships, and we have many in the pipeline um, for the foreseeable future as well. I'm sure you do. So, do you have do you have a rubric or like is it is it that you have these people contacting you or are you contacting them? Sort of walk yeah. me through that process. Yes. So there is definitely a science to the art. Um, we want every every project, every collaboration to deliver something fresh and exciting and new for the consumer. So we absolutely put the consumer at the heart of all our decision-making. What I would say is as as our collaborations have really started to scale, we're very intentional about the space of the partner the partners occupy. So we think about geographics. So to begin with, our collaborations were really um, US-centric. So now we've expanded to our five top uh, markets in the world, which is the us China, Japan, Korea, and sort of say Western Europe. So now we've got geographic expansion. We've also got probably more dimensionalization around different what we'd call consumer affinities. So we look at the music space. We look at the uh, lifestyle space. So a brand like uh, Peeps, a collaboration like Peeps or KFC would sit in that space. We definitely look at the, um, the high fashion space as well as the street fashion space. And we'll continue to explore other avenues like sport. Um, and again, individuals. Um, we've probably heard of some of the uh, some well-known individuals that we we partnered with, um, including just earlier this month, Justin Bieber, for the second time. So 
we we obviously we don't we want to be able to react quickly if a new opportunity comes out of nowhere we want to be able to act fast but we i would say we've definitely applied more strategy um and intentionality around the spaces that we want to create collaborations in um at the beginning we were just frankly we were grateful to have someone to partner with and we've we've now really got the opportunity to be more strategic. Is that an entire like department you have in the either product development or marketing where you're you're sort of thinking about these possibilities or sort of how do you include include that into the overall program that is Crocs, yeah. Crocs's new pro- programs? So uh, originally it wasn't. I would say originally it was sort of other you know extra work for people who already had a kind of a day job. What we've really looking, the way we look at it now is that you want to be able to engineer processes that are repeatable, right? Um, And so really it takes a village um, to to create a successful collaboration. There's a design, there's product development. We're often challenging our product developers to come up with something really crazy. I mean, when I saw that first prototype of the the gibbet that was a chicken nugget, I, I mean, I screamed with delight because I had no idea that anyone could actually create that. So there's design, development, uh, marketing play an enormous role. Um, often our collaborations um, are launched in a digital channel. So we have an entire digital team to make sure that these launches can happen um, uh, in, a, in the, the way we want. We can execute them and we can give the consumer a great experience. We also have a legal team to make sure that we have contracts in place. Um, so it really does take a village. And um, actually, one of the, the most fun experiences is in the days when we were all together in, in you know, working cheek by cheek, mm-hmm. we would have a war room. And it's a really fun experience to see the, this entire team in a war room counting down to a launch and then just seeing consumers jump online. And, and it's a really fun experience, very rewarding. Wow, that sounds Pretty wild. I, hopefully there'll be a war room again soon. So uh, let's back up a little bit because we, we sort of started with seven years ago and then went straight into collabs, which I'm really happy we did because I, I love all your collabs. But uh, you you're, you just, or not just, but like about nine months ago or six months ago started as president. Is that correct? So, so what was, what's, was your overall mandate or what is your overall mandate coming into this new role? That's a great question. So yes, I'm only six months in, so I'm I'm still I still have my training wheels on, um, and I think you know <laughs> any role right is a work in progress. Um, it never stops evolving. What I would say that I'm most focused on is how the brand comes to life across the globe in all channels. What is the consumer experience? So how do we bring the brand to life? And again, through great product. So. This expanded role for me um, now also oversees the commercial um, parts of the business. So our Asia, our EMEA, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and our America's um, GMs also report into this role. And really, this is about um, helping to all of our amazing leaders and teams around the world do their best work, make sure that we're globally aligned as a brand, and ultimately really focused on the consumer experience. We really put the consumer at the heart of everything we do. So how has the compu- uh, the consumer experience changed? I feel like over the last year, people have been shopping differently. I know that digital is very important. I was watching an interview with your CEO and he said something like, 
we're well positioned for digital consumption. And so I'd love to just hear sort of what the changes that happened to Crocs in terms of how how consumers are interfacing with the brand. Yeah, so I think that there's been a long-term shift to digital, um, something we recognized many years ago, um, that the consumer was was moving to digital and we needed to be where the consumer um, is looking for us. So um, we've been resourcing um, our digital channel um, for over many years now, and we have a, a really great um, team of individuals who only focus on digital. Um, and that can be our own websites, it can be in marketplaces, and it can also be in multi-brand environments like a, like a Zappos, for example, that I think, again, the listeners would know. Um, and I would say that, um, you know, that requires a level of expertise around, you know, the consumers shopping either on a phone or a small screen and what, what, how do they experience the brand. So we have to be very thoughtful about what that experience is. But, you know, I would say we also um, value, um, we, we have an omni-channel route to market. So about 50% of our revenue comes through um, through the digital space, but we also have stores. So about 20% of our revenue comes through our retail portfolio. Uh, that's a mono-brand, a single Crocs experience. Um, and that's been, you know, continues to be really successful, actually, despite kind of the pandemic where we're seeing consumers... Um, all the way through the, the pandemic, well, when stores were open, consumers were there waiting in line to shop at Crocs. So that's been fantastic. And then we also have a, a great um, wholesale business. We have um, fantastic partnerships with a number of the, the key wholesalers um, in across Americas and, frankly, across the globe um, who represent our brand. And we sit alongside other brands like a Converse, Vans, Birkenstock, etc. Has your sort of calculus with wholesale changed given that so many in-store retailers have been impacted by the coronavirus and had closures and different things like that. How are you considering your your overall strategy with wholesale partners? Yeah, again, I would say we we start with the consumer. So we think about um, the consumer that these key partners serve, and we um, we bring to market segmented assortments based on who those retailers and consumer is. So some of our partners serve the whole family, um, and other partners of ours will serve and maybe a more youth consumer, other partners of ours serve maybe a more sport kind of active consumer. So we really start with the consumer and then think about, um, you know, we start there. Got it. And you you said that it's split 50% digital, 50% generally non-digital. Yeah. Has that always generally been the makeup or is that a new phenomenon? I would say it's been shifting year over year more and more towards digital Certainly the pandemic, when you look at the full year and you look at some store closures and some wholesale partners store closures as well, um, we saw a further distortion. So our digital business actually grew 50, uh, 50% um, in 2020. Um, but, you know, it, you know, we are still having conversations about where it's going to exactly settle. But I think the consumers, I mean, it's here to stay. The consumers definitely um, been shopping digitally prior to COVID and will continue to post-COVID. And how does DTC fit into that? So how, like, what is the makeup in terms of marketplaces compared to your own website? So we don't actually divulge that split publicly, um, okay. but, you know, we recognize that our digital landscape is really, as I said, in three areas, like .com, marketplaces, mm -hmm. and then multi-brand wholesalers who only sell online. And can you just talk about sort of how, what is your overall marketplace strategy? So you, like it's obviously meet the customers where they are. That makes a lot of sense. But also, I'm sure you want more people shopping on your website. So what's your overall approach or strategy with trying to sort of walk that tightrope? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's a balanced portfolio. I think we're 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 very happy that we have this um, omni-channel out to market, and no single channel um, is is uh, we're not we're not overly dependent on any single channel. So certainly during COVID, our our focus on digital was incredibly helpful because you know it, we didn't have to suddenly pivot to think about digital. Um, but we remain really committed to all three kind of routes to market. Um, you know, our retail portfolio today, we have about three, we have specifically 351 stores around the world that we own. Um, and we don't see that largely changing over time. Um, you know, it might might change a little, but not, you know, not dramatically. Um, and we continue to commit, we're continued to be committed to a really good consumer experience in those stores. Um, I, I think our consumers love shopping in a Crocs store. They love the personalization experience with the gibbets and they love all of the color and the fun. Um, so we have, we have great performance out of our retail stores. And then, as I said, we've got great partnerships and growing partnerships with some really critical retailers, uh, wholesalers, I should say, who, who serve consumers um, in a really great way. Um, you know, in a multi-brand environment. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So, uh, I mean, like Crocs were definitely in vogue over the last year and you guys saw a huge growth just in terms of people at home and they want comfort. Did you did you have to reposition or sort of how did you go about the overall brand story with that? Because I feel like, and are you, how are you thinking about that going forward yeah. as things open back up? So great question. So the good news is several years ago, we, um, we put together a multi-category uh, strategy for growth um, to really think about the long-term growth opportunity for Crocs. The three pillars we really focused are on our clogs, sandals, and personalization. So as we went into COVID, um, what was clear to us that there were the consumer and the retailers, our partners, were going to be uh, more risk-averse. So what we did is we didn't have to um, abandon any of those three product pillars. What I would say is that we pared down our assortments, right? Um, because if you think back to last March, um, we were creating product for 2021 last March. Who knew what was going to happen, right? Who knew what the consumer would want, where the consumer would be, would we be shopping? You know, it was really an unknown. So what we did was we really went into, I would say, defense mode at that point, and we pared down our product range to make sure that we could still offer consumers newness, but it would be in spaces that they were familiar with. So we kind of added newness in terms of color or graphics or embellishments, et cetera, but on silhouettes that are already proven. Um, I think as we move out of COVID and move more now into back into, I would say, offense mode, those three pillars remain intact clogs, sandals, personalization. But what you'll see us doing is adding more newness through style, you know, additional styles, style iteration and newness as we move um, hopefully out of the pandemic and into hopefully the roaring 20s. Yeah, that's what everyone's saying. Right? It's going it's yeah. to be a re renewed and I, everyone will be wearing their clogs going outside. Yeah, yep. and, <laughs> and sandals, right? So, um, true, you yeah. know, we the beauty of... of um, of some of the sandal business. Some of sandals is definitely um, tied to wearing occasions, but there's also been a real, real shift to slides, consumers wearing slides just as another foot covering with a pair of socks. So the beauty of that is it's not weather dependent, it's not vacation dependent. And um, we have a really fun product, 
Can you, Ryan, can you grab me a shoe, actually? I've, I want to show you a shoe. But we, um, right. we, we have a brand new silhouette that you might not be familiar with um, that's a, a great new product. Yeah. Um, and it's a two-slide, a two-band two slide that you can personalize. So this yeah, for those who can't see, it's bright pink uh, and looks like a, a nice little slide-in sandal. Yeah, so, so that's, um, that's an area that um, consumers are coming to because we're the only brand that can be personalized on the spot. Wow, it's very cool looking. Um, so talk to me just with this, now that you're sort of more in offense mode, you said, what's the marketing plan going forward? Where are you putting your money? Is it digital channels? I'm sure these collabs fit into that. Just talk yeah, to me through yeah. all that. So several years ago, Kale, we um, pivoted to 100% digital spend in a marketing. So that, you know, that was pre-COVID and will continue post-COVID. That's where we want to reach our consumers. And we're, we're, we're pretty good at sort of understanding where a consumer is and, and driving really strong uh, return on ad spend. So um, what we'll continue to do is introduce new silhouettes in those spaces to our consumers and have regular fresh drops of gibbets that consumers can can come back to and find new, new um, introductions on a monthly basis um, in stores and online. But those really will continue to be our three key growth drivers. Again, personalization is really at the hub of that as you know, all of our product just becomes a blank canvas for self-expression. You mentioned this just in the last little second uh, that you, you do those gibbets with drops. So I feel like brands like yours are frequently doing the drop model in terms of, you know, start this month, something new, here you get it, now it's gone. Can you just talk me through how you see that just sort of from a top level point of view? Is Do you think that that's a long term strategy or is that just sort of the the vogue marketing thing that, that people are doing now? No, I, th- I think um, it's actually what we, how, the way we think about it is there's certain products that we actually want available all, all the time, like core products. Um, and that extends to some of our charms. So think, for example, letters and numbers. Um, and I would say evergreen, um, evergreen charms like a heart or a rainbow. We want to be in stock all the time because they're always relevant. And then there are other things that drop in um, that are sort of a flavor of the moment. So um, you're going to laugh at this, but um, my team created a, a gibbet that says spill the tea. And I have no idea what it means, but we launched it and it disappeared. Like it, it just just came and went. We did a Baby Yoda gibbet um, that just disappeared. Like when I say disappeared, sold through um, in days. So we we definitely don't have a one size fit all strategy. We have some product that we want to be available year round, and we have other product that it's sort of buy it now while it lasts because next month there'll be a new a new idea, a new concept. Do you keep tabs on the resale market in terms of like StockX to see what people are buying if, if there if there is a limited edition? Yes, actually it's a it's it's really fun to see um to see the value of some of these um products kind of re-emerging in the resale market and understand um how how valuable they are to consumers. We've definitely seen a lot of crocs um in that space. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so you mentioned way earlier that uh, international is a big part of your of, of what you're working on. And I was I was reading, I think, an interview. I can't remember where it was, but about uh, sort of you're retooling the overall China expansion plan and sort of how you're working with retailers. Can you give a little bit of color about how I feel like a lot of brands are focusing on China and trying to figure out how best to uh, to reach consumers there? Yep. So what have you found? Yeah, so I'll, firstly, I'll just to give you um, and the listeners sort of a view, I would say our, our international business is um, over 40% of our revenue comes from um, outside of the U.S. Um, and as we've seen brand momentum, that brand momentum is really spreading globally. So our three territories or three regions are 
uh, Americas, U- Europe, EMEA, and um, Asia. So actually, for when we look at our, the whole Asia business, we actually have three key markets that we're really focused on. It's China, Japan, and Korea. Um, and so I would say that the playbook we are really focused on in Asia is really been the successful playbook that we implemented in the U.S. and, and, in, and in Europe, which is um, really establish icon status for the clog silhouette, really leverage personalization to, to, to dial into that consumer's desire for self-expression, and then flank that business with sandals. So um, it's not a different strategy. What I would say um, where, where it does need to be tailored is in our marketing um, strategy, a big part of it is collaborations and influences, and those generally have to be local. Unless it's a big name like a Justin Bieber that sold out really fast in China, we, um, we, we I would say, click down to a local level um, with influencers and some marketing activations. Also, the social channels um, that are relevant in China, Japan, Korea are all, are all different. So we have to balance like a global strategy and being globally aligned to, so that we show up consistently with um, local execution and ways to reach the consumer where they are. You mentioned the sort of China-Asia-specific influencer strategy. How would you talk about your U.S.-based one? Is that like uh, when you're seeking out, even beyond collaborations, but just sort of if you're doing a campaign on, you know, on a s- social platform, how, how do you think about, you know, who, who you work with and, and what you can get out of it? Yeah, so influencer strategy is a really critical part of our marketing playbook, a really important one, and it has evolved Several years ago, when Crocs was really trying to get back on the radar um, and and be perceived as a uh, a more aspirational brand, we leveraged um, some I would say big name celebrities um, to really be ambassadors for our brand. Uh, people like uh, Drew Barrymore, that I think everyone's heard of. Um, we continue to do um, to do some partnerships and have some partnerships with um, some I would say broader, well known names like a Priyanka Chopra, for example. Jonas Chopra. But um, I would say we've also now evolved to really focus on a tapestry of micro-influencers. So because some of these influencers have such dedicated followers, they might be they might have a smaller number of followers, but they have a really, really devoted, um, obs- almost obsessed sort of group of followers. So we we think about our influencer strategy as a rich tapestry of interests and affinities and geographies and we sort of stitch it together like a like a quilt right so we have um fantastic partnerships with influencers all over the country and all over the world that um are able to take our product and make it their own um particularly again with the gibbets um and really tell a story on our behalf um and drive real authenticity with the consumer that's what the consumers are really looking for when they see when they see influencers wearing their product, they want to feel that it's really an authentic connection to the brand, not just someone, you know, taking a check. Well, we're almost running out of time, but I, I, I wanted to sort of just get into sort of with this influencer strategy, sort of when you're working with sort of a maybe a smaller player that you mentioned, what are is it? Do you look? What are the sort of the metrics of success, and do you sort of grade it on a curve? You said that you know some have a really 
avid following, but they're a smaller following. So they're not going to get the same uh, volume as Drew Barrymore would. So how do you, so how are you able to sort of think about that and know, well, this has been successful because we got this many mentions or I, I'm always interested in just sort of that calculation. Yeah, I would say it's a mixture of quality and quantity, right? So it's not just number of followers, right? But we look at engagement rates. So um, it's really fun when you partner with someone who really resonates with the consumers, you can get a very kind of strong qualitative read on the response because you can you see it on social read all through all the messages and you'll really understand how the consumer is engaged with this individual and with the product that we're we this individual's wearing um there's definitely times where we want a really big name with a really big reach so um you know for example we have a, a an ambassador in china who has i think over 120 million followers just on one channel alone right so it does depend on what our objective is um, and i would say it's a mix of quantity and quality got it well michelle we hit on so many different things this was such a great conversation thank you so much for joining thanks for having me And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.